Okie dokie, folks. Welcome to the Roots Report podcast, presented by Motif Magazine and sponsored by Providence Brewing Company, Rhode Island Blood Center, New Bedford Festival Theater, and Mother Earth Wellness. I am your host, John Fusick. Today we have Andy Summers. Andy is best known for being the guitarist of the rock band The Police, but he is also a composer, photographer, and author. Summers will be in Rhode Island in a couple of weeks when he brings the Cracked Lens and Missing String Tour to the Greenwich Odeon on July 22nd.
This is Andy Summers. Hi, Andy. This is John Fusick from Motif Magazine. How are you? Okay. Yep. Good. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks for calling. For what it's worth. Yeah. Oh, you're not having a good day? <laughs> no, it's fine. I'm sitting in my studio waiting to play, but uh, we'll do this little chat first. Are you in Santa Monica? Uh, Venice Beach. Oh, is that, where you, is that where you live now? I live in Santa Monica. I've got a studio in Venice Beach. Oh, that's nice. It's a nice place for a studio. Yeah, it's pretty hip around here. It's nice, and it's a lovely day. So you're going out on the road with this cracked lens and missing string <laughs> tour. Yeah. You want to yeah, tell me? That. Tell, tell me you all about it? Yeah, tell me a little bit about it. Then. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, well, I mean, you know, this is something I was doing, you know, I finally worked up to, and I don't know why I didn't do this years ago, but uh, I was doing it before the pandemic. I managed about six shows. In fact, the last one was at the Metropolitan Museum of Art in New York, which was a nice note to end on, mm. but wasn't ready to end. But then, you know, we got struck down, so that was... That was the end of that. Now we're, we're all slowly filtering back. And uh, so I'm picking up, if, if you like, from where I left off. So I guess you would call this a multimedia show because this is where I play with a large cinema screen on stage. and I've got all my electronic gear and everything. And then I project all kinds of uh, exotic photography sequences on the screen and, you know, play different styles of music to each sequence, including a few songs from the police as well, I might add, with now with new imagery, so on and so forth. And I do a bit of reading from the last book I put out, talk to the audience, play solo guitar pieces, play some with backing tracks, and it ends up with a sort of a collage of police music and uh, photography. So is you're completely solo on this show, right? It's yeah, just it is. You. It's just solo, solo guitar, yeah. yeah. Well, not solo guitar, because I'm playing the backing tracks, but uh, yeah, no no band per se. That's a whole other ball game. <laughs> <laughs> so I read that you you play with a, uh, a, a tribute called The Police that you actually play police music do you still do yeah that? that's a different deal that's um, something i've been doing for a few years with two you know absolutely stellar and famous musicians in brazil they're both in rio and i've been playing in brazil for since 1995 consistently every year some times I've been more than once a year, you know, I never miss. It was like my second home. We always started in Rio, and um, the guy that I've always worked with um, started to manage this uh, great singer, bass player from a band called Red Baron. They're pretty famous in South America. So it was a natural thing, and we started off just playing together a bit, and then eventually we did one police song, I did some of his. And it sort of went on like that, and then we got in uh, Juan Baroni from the Paralamas, who are very famous in South America. Many huge hits, and uh, yeah, we put together this trio and also it, it came down to just doing an entire police set that's what we did because the police were incredibly popular in south america so it's a sort of all hits show and we've had very we've done it i think the last time we did it on this last one was the fourth time the pandemic sort of kicked a hole in it for a while unfortunately but uh yeah i did that um this year too so it's a, a sort of side project and no doubt i think we're, they're talking about me coming back down to play in Sifa and maybe some other cities more in the northeast of brazil in uh, february now you get huge crowds down there don't you because they're known for having oh, huge crowds yeah, down there that's it's completely musical culture wonderful musical culture it's always been a big influence on me so you know i don't know if it's karma or, or i started into brazilian music when i was about 16 when i saw the film black orpheus and it was a total turn on for me like what it, what it, what is that country what is this music you know and of course i gradually found all this out uh, so it's always been a part of my musical thing you know the music of brazil 
girl. And, you know, I got going when I did it. First time I did it outside of the police, you know, we, we did go there a couple of times with the police. But then I started going down there. I first went with an acoustic guitar duo. And the guy that bought us, we, we really hit it off. And so he brought me back to play with another guitar player. And that led to another thing. And then I've, I've done all kinds of uh, projects in Brazil and from and in South America, you know, and it finally sort of culminated in this all police hits band. It's a killer band too. I got to say, great players. Oh, sure it is. It's, it's yeah, it yeah. Have to be. Yeah, yeah. It's it's very it's great fun. It's a lot of fun, you know. It's, for me, I really enjoy it. You know, I like the people. I mean, I go down for you know usually about a month, and it's a very good time. A lot of laughs. Great food, great playing. You know, it's, it's not a bad time at all. Sounds good. <laughs> yeah, it's good. So you and I have three things in common. Oh, yeah? We're both guitar players. We're both okay. photographers. And, ah. and your first wife, Robin Lane, is a friend of mine. Oh, wow. <laughs> okay, I'll put the phone down now, then, shall I? <laughs> I've known Robin for about 40 years, so... Wow. Oh, my God. But I've always found that... Where, where are you? Where Where am I caught? Are you, are you in Boston? I'm in Rhode Island. All right, you're not far away, yeah. No, yeah, I've, I've okay. met, right. met Robin back in the early 80s, and I've been, I've done gigs with her and stuff and been friends with her for quite a long time. And Well, she's very talented. Um, I haven't seen her in years. Have so, you ever... Yeah. Did you guys ever do music together? No, not really. She's... She was a singer-songwriter, very talented, you know, a musical fan. Uh, no, we never did anything. Never did, you know. I mean, we were only together for a couple of years. It wasn't a long time. No, I know. I saw I was that. going to college in L.A. It was only a couple of years. and then. But within that crowd of people that she knew, I met my wife, Kate, who we're still married. So there you go. So well, you had a... Thing you got divorced and remarried, right? Yeah, we did. Yes, we got divorced. Well, here's the weird little thing, as you've brought this rather strange subject up, which I wasn't expecting. <laughs> you know, thanks a lot, man. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, <laughs> fucking hell. Um, yeah. Well, I was just curious. I was I mean, to Robin Lane, and through that same circle of people, we're talking about ancient history. Right, right. Kate, my wife, was married also to someone called Robin. <laughs> So the day came. Now you don't want, you don't want to hear all the ins and outs of this, but we both got divo we got divorced together from two robins. <laughs> It's insane. It's an ins I've written about this in a book, actually, so it's public knowledge. We got divorced from the two Robins in Los Angeles. You know, like, we literally got out of bed in the morning, drove to downtown L.A., went to the court. Kate sat on the steps and typed out a final paper. We went into the court, and the guy, the judge, calls up my name. I go up, and he says, right, you're getting divorced from Robin. And he reads out the address. And then the next one was Kate goes up into the court to the front of the judge. He reads the same net, literally the same name again, another Robin, and at the same address. And the judge goes, what the? Get out of here. Get out. And he was completely confused. I can see was, how he would be. One of those bizarre things, you know, anyway. Yeah, there you I, go. You got the story. Yeah, I've always, I always thought it was weird because it was long before the police and you were you were oh. just, you know, a college student that time. I was in so. California and yeah. I, I went to college in California and studied music. Yeah. And I was. I just sort of fell into this scene, you know, which was, I was an English guy coming from a rock band in London. It was weird that I did that, but um, I was so attracted to California after, you know, growing up in London and the hell of London. Yeah. <laughs> like, I mean, Laurel Canyon. That's this like is a whole other ball game. That's night and yeah, day. Yeah, yeah, totally. night and day. And, you know, so many musicians, so much great music. You know, I was very seduced by it. But, you know, I mean, I went to college, I studied music, and I was sort of down and out, and so blah, blah, blah. Were you with the animals at that I, point? 
I was a little bit, yeah. You know, we only had about nine months, but that's that was why I stayed there. And then actually what happened was, in my case, you know, I'd been in the animals and Eric Burden broke up the band and the manager wanted to manage me in person and, you know, turn me into whatever he thought he could. And so I, I was let didn't go back to London. I stayed in L.A. and I started to make a record. And then the, this guy um, disappeared. He sort of suddenly left, got out of showbiz altogether. I don't know where he went. And that was the end of that. And then I, then it was a struggle. Then I ended up being there for over five years and going to college and all that, you know, and that's what I did. I was pretty young then. I was only my early 20s. So, yeah. Well, one of the things I I remember about... your life, you know. (laughs) (laughs) Jesus. What, what yeah. are the, one of the things I remember about you, and this was in the early 80s when MTV was huge, and I used to be glued to yeah. MTV all the time, being a musician. Yeah. I was mesmerized yeah. by it. But yeah. I remember them coming on the news and talking about your book, Throb. And yeah. and for me, it was kind of, this is where we you know have similar interests again, is mm. at that time, I was just beginning as a photo student in college, yeah, and I thought, and you, and they showed the picture. I I have burned in my brain is the photo of the horse and the man in the yeah. water. Yeah, yeah, and that photo has been burned in my brain for basically forty years. It's such a cool yeah. image. And, yeah, and being a photographer and studying photographer, and the fact that you were a musician and you were doing photography, it was like I. It was kind of like giving me the 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 okay that I was kind of on the right path. That you were doing what I wanted to do. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, you know. The two things I think translate from very nicely from one to another. I mean, I've had this kind of conversation with many people. And they go, well, you're a guitarist, and you're why, why photographer? I said, well, you know, you know, I think of photography in musical terms, and vice versa. Why not? You know, I think coming to photography and being a musician already, I think it, you're used to thinking in a different way, and I think it gives you a big advantage over people who have no um, efforts in, you know, trying to express themselves in another media. I always felt like. Yeah, this is sort of like guitar playing. I, I think I can make a shape here and I can throw something there and I can see a line here and a black that out there. You know, I, you know I'm very used to it. So, you know, of course, I did study properly, you know, and I had great advice and I was very close, still am, close friends with Ralph Gibson. So, you know, I was encouraged, but I once I you know got a serious camera in new york i never turned back i was completely addicted to it loved it still do to this very day and we should mention i have a brand new book out which is called a series of glances i think it's probably the best book i've had out so far it's it just out in the last six weeks or so on amazon a series of glances yeah i looked at some of the images on your site there yeah i, I like them. i mean yeah. Now, you do strictly black and white, but are you shooting digitally or with film still? No, I'm digital now, and I am shooting color now. Oh, okay. Because, partly because the Leica M10, the color one, which is the one I use, I think they've advanced to M11, and the color is so saturated and rich that, uh, you know, I am suddenly shoot color much more than I used to. And sort of liking it, you know. And I, I think it's harder to shoot color than black and white. Oh, totally. Yeah. It is much harder to get great color shots. I mean, you really have to think differently, but like, I'm trying, but the, the, the like it is fabulous for it. Well, yeah. did you ever shoot with uh, slides? Those were very difficult to work with. Yeah, I did a bit of that. You know, I tried all these things in the early days, slides and, uh, you know, then color film and, you know, 
all these things. But, you know, in those earliest days, you know, all the influences on me were definitely black and white photography. And, you know, I mean, colour wasn't even taken seriously until the early 70s. Nobody thought colour mm. was proper photography. That has changed with some great, the work of some great uh, colour photographers. Now, who were your so, photo- photographic influences? Well, you know, mostly American photographers, actually. I mean, obviously, in a way, sort of everyone starts off at the beginning with Cartier-Bresson. I love Cartier-Bresson, you, yeah. Yeah, yeah, you start with him and, and was a great photographer. And that style of photography, and, and it sort of permeated the whole of art photography, you know, Cartier-Bresson. But, I mean, you know, as I got going, I mean, the biggest influence on me was definitely Ralph Gibson. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you're familiar with his work. Lee Friedlander, yep. great. Yep. Gary Winogrand, people like that. You know, almost like New York photographers. This is where I thought, yeah, the real expression is where they're turning, you know, photography really into an art. God, I just got a book in the last few days of uh, Lee Friedlander mm. that is edited by Joel Cohen, you know, the Cohen brothers, the mm-hmm. filmmakers. Yep. God, it's a fantastic book. It's called Framed. Oh, Friedlander. A lot of people think he's the best American photographer, which is, there is no best. I mean, there's so many great Well, ones. there's so many different variations of photography. I mean, you've got like Ansel yeah. Adams who did these amazing landscapes, and then you have, you know, the others. I mean, it's just... Well, you go from Ansel Adams to Diane Arbus. You right, know, I mean, right. how far apart can you get? You right. Know? I mean, Diane Arbus... everyone in between. Diane Arbus, her photographs are troubling. I mean, they're just very oh, they disturbing. they are troubling, and they're not my favorite because uh, she stood in front of a very you know imagery you know kids you know f- fucked up people suffering you know alienated people it makes for a powerful image but it's not something i want to look at particularly right, you know right. i was much more interested in ralph gibson's work because i thought it was so poetic and very highly imaginative of you know the transformation of the sort of ordinary object into something compa- that's uh, artistically compelling oh, you know shadow on the wall or the the arm of a chair right right i got a lot of inspiration from degas the painter painter yeah that's a nice influence <laughs> but he actually worked with photography with his i, I had well, he did yeah. yeah when i was in college i actually did a paper on his influences of photography and his painting yeah. and his compositional approach was how i approached a lot of my photography yeah I, I think that's a really good uh call i mean you can see some of this late Degas, you know that we're shooting across the room it's like a photograph mm. it's like he took the camera back and angled in this so he's got a bit in the foreground and, yeah you're, you're absolutely right the and, organization of the space is sort of photographic but then he painted it right and then i went what i did with a lot of my fo- photographs when I, I had a couple of exhibits when i was younger and i uh, incorporated like pastels into the photograph and made them look like Degas mm. in, in their act painterly fashion so that's but, nice but I got out of photography because I, you know, I used to do a lot of photography. Then it was switched to digital. I didn't have the money to switch over, and I just, and you know, it was just complicated. So I quit yeah. for a long time. Just got back into it a few years ago, and I've been doing concert photography a lot now with the paper mm-hmm. I write for, and you know, because it's it's hard. I mean, it's always been. I know you you talk about how they work together, and it does because anything that's involved with the visual or the uh, of the arts is is like music. It's all art. It's all creative. It's all a process. You see things differently. The other things wow. you you hear things differently than other people. But yeah, with me, I started finding that I was a bit like I was being pulled in two different directions a lot of time, and I was 
fighting, trying to like, you know, favor one over the other or expend my energy. I don't know if that ever got to you where you had, you felt like a competition. Yeah, I divided up pretty evenly. And I mean, what you're talking about now is you can see why I'm doing this, this show, this sort of solo multimedia show. I said, okay, I give up. I'm going to just do them both together in public. That's it. We're all the way there now, you know, (laughs) that's what I'm doing. I'm I'm getting like the idea, the feeling that some of the videos that I watched on your website are kind of Uh, what a feeling, what the show is going to be like with the photo. Some of it. Yeah. Because the photographs, like a lot of the videos with the instrumental guitar pieces are, Mm. they're just, you know, the montages of your photographs and they just slides yeah. that come in and out and it's your music and that that's what i feel like the show is going to be some of the pieces are like that yeah i'm you know i'll be will be playing some of those in the show and uh, you know i'm doing some new stuff you know um, yeah it's you know it's it's a creative process like you know i knew the music but i'm taking a couple of the songs i'm playing the melodies like something like tina's ours one we've just literally worked out in the last few days and I'm thinking, okay, I've got to go back into the art. I've got to create a video of this. Well, I, I have been to the Sahara Desert, spent some time in Morocco, so I'm digging into that section of the uh, archive to, you know, pull out some imagery that will kind of go along with what everybody knows that song's about, you know, Tea in the Sahara. So we'll see. So, you know, that's kind of the gig at the moment, you know, the way to pull these things together. And it, it was a lot of fun. You know, like, got the music, I'm now play the melody on the guitar, and I've got an improvisational section, you know, it's very, you know, beautiful, you know, I and mean, we've really pulled that together. Now, the next thing is to get the imagery. So, you know, and we can do things where we sort of morph from one still photograph into another. So it's sort of got movement with it, you know. Mm. So, you know, this work, you know, but it's, it's all fun, artistic work. And, you know, we'll see how people like it. Oh, it's, it's a lot of work. I know. Trust me. <laughs> yeah. So one of the things I noticed is that you have a, a, a Stratocaster guitar called a Monocaster, and it has yeah. it's emblazoned with your photographs all over it. Yeah. Now, is that a mass yes. production, or is it just a one-off? No, it was a limited edition. They made well, it sold out immediately. I mean, they're all gone before we'd even made them. They made 50 of them. You were playing one of them in the videos, I noticed. Yeah, I, I've got them. I'm, I can see one now, you know. I mean, I have I have six of them. Actually. Oh, I would hope you'd had a couple of them. Well, you know, when you... Yeah, you'd think they would be... Give me a break on that, right? <laughs> now, are you going to be playing strictly electric or will you be playing acoustic guitar in well the no it's mostly electric but i do do you know as we were saying you know because of my time in brazil ongoing time in brazil i'm going to play a whole uh, kind of bossa nova section where i will shoot uh, not shoot but project you know photographs from brazil that i've shot over the years and maybe some moving imagery as well but you know i play this stuff really well because i play classical guitar for years so you know playing brazilian music on a nylon string is pretty natural to me so mm. there's just one piece in the show that i you know i play kind of four or five brazilian songs to that imagery yeah so two different electrics i bring and then um you know the one nylon string and that's what i'm going to do yep <laughs> Now, you're familiar with Henry Diltz? You must be. Yeah. Now, he's he's had a similar, well, in a way, a similar, but I mean, he, he, he was a musician and photographer, but he's wound up more on the photography side of things, though he does occasionally tour. He has, like, I think he said something like 800,000 photographs or something. I mean, yeah. what, do you, what do you think you're up to 
at this point? Um, I think we've got 36,000 in my archive. Wow. You know, when you say that, that's the chosen ones. Those are the chosen ones. Not, you know, if, if you went to every picture you shot, you'd be in about a million pictures. No, I, you know, I have, you know, my life, my, you know, I have a studio, but in my house, I have a 27-inch big computer that's de just dedicated to the photography, really. And um, that's where I, well, I have the whole archive on four or five backup discs, obviously, in the studio. And then I have I have it at home, and I have a, a way of um, searching through all kinds of imagery, you know. So that's how I do it, you know. And, uh, you know, like, for instance, I just was in South America, and then I was all over Europe. It was like a two-month trip, a lot of photography. But then I work my way through it, seeing what's any good, and reprocess and get it back onto my computer to enter into the official archive, as it were. So everything is like hand chosen. It's, it's under a subject heading. So it's only in there if I've chosen it. You know? mm. Now, you do all the work on the photographs yourself. You sit at the computer and color correct them and everything yourself? Uh, I, have, I have a technical assistant. So, yeah, I'm very familiar with it because I did work in the darkroom for a bit. So I'm very down with the processes. No, we, we, we uh, look at them. You know, I go, okay, we're going to do a sequence or, you know, like I just did this, the new book that's out called A Series of Glances. I did that with my assistant because he's very fast with computers. He's a tech guy. Um, so, you know, the process is like uh, I start getting stuff up on the screen, thinking about the design of the book, and then slowly, like I want a vertical here, I want two horizontals on the next page, then I want a blank. Then I want another vertical. The next page is a fully bled horizontal, so on and so forth. You know, you design the book. Mm -hmm. But that it actually took about six months to do that, you know, on and off, to really put it together with the way I felt that it was, well, let's say, very musical. That's what I was looking for, right. a rhythm. A musical. There's only so many ways you can do a photograph book, and I'm very down with it, you know, because uh, I've been through it so much. Also, my friendship with Ralph Gibson, who taught me a lot about bookmaking and all that, which is a really enjoyable process. I really enjoy you know, getting all the stuff up on the screen and then sequencing it, see why does this flow into that, and so on and so forth, like making a movie. Yeah, it's, it sounds like a, a very interesting process. Now, yeah. Getting back to the guitar thing again, um, yeah. one of the things I've always admired about you is your left-hand skills. You you have... Uh. It, I've watched your left hand, and a lot of players, they they play... It's a lot of three-fingered playing, but you are a four-fingered player, and you use your little finger a lot, and I notice oh, a lot yeah. of players don't. But you are very... And you have a reach. I noticed that when you were playing, you have quite the reach on you. Are you still able to do those long reaches uh, with the chords? Yeah, I, I am. Um, and thank you. That's a really interesting remark you just made. Uh, I find it very flattering. No, I'm a four-fingered guitar player, but, you know, I, you know, there was a period, you know, when I went to college that I only played classical guitar for that those few years. Well, I still do, you know, but I'm not as avid and sort of slave, a slave to it like I, I was for many years. But, you know, I was used to that big neck and the, and the power that it takes to hold down those strings. But it gets gave me so much, you know, both hands, you know, playing classical guitar for that long. And I think that's, you know, possibly where, you know, the reach and the, the, the strength to do it comes from. Yeah. It's a, it's a good thing. And I've, I've always appreciated, admired that in you. One of the things I saw, this was back in the 80s, the mid 80s, you had this weird fishbone looking guitar in the synchronicity <laughs> video. Yeah. And I remember seeing that guitar in the Museum of Modern Art in an, in an yeah. exhibition. Now yes. that's... That guitar didn't actually play, did it? Well, it did. It was, it, you know, it was a very bizarre instrument. And, you know, really, it was an art piece. 
it was called a Gitler, a Gitler guitar. And, um, I, you know, unbelievably, I sold it to somebody. I, I went through a sort of purge one day. I had so many guitars. And uh, I, I sold it to somebody. I can't even remember circumstances. <laughs> but, um, you know, I was in New York all the time. And I had seen that Gitler guitar in the Museum of New York. And it came about somehow, you know, I was always down in Soho and around the village that I was told I could meet Gitler himself and you know maybe I would get a guitar because he only made a few of them and I did and I eat you know strange little guy with a kid. I have a picture um, he lived in a sort of tenement in, in the sort of alphabet city in the East Village it was dodgy but I went and met him and uh, you know it was all okay and then um, I got I got a guitar and I had it for a while yeah I can't believe that I sold it what a mistake that was and then apparently he gave it all up and he went to live in Israel and became a sort of Zionist Jewish person that's what he did so wow. very strange um, sort of surreal Thing. Yeah, yeah. Watching that video, I just watch it, and you're doing these windmills and stuff with it, and I'm like, you're going to impale your hand on one of those yeah. frets. Yeah, yeah, it was. <laughs> it's not the thing you want to swing around too much because it could spike you. Yeah. Right. Well, we're we're almost out of time. I just want to ask okay. you one more question, and yeah. I know I already threw you with a couple, but what is the one thing that in all the interviews you've done or the interviews you've done lately that you wish somebody would ask you about? Well, you feel um, yourself disappointed well, that I, I mean, I just well. You didn't I think get to you talk kind about. of threw a few curves in today. I mean, between Robin Lane and then the get the guitar, I think you've got me. I'm going to go run out of the street in a minute and do something daft. If you see Robin, give her my very best. You I know? will. I probably will talk to her soon. I was. I've been trying to. I have a folk festival, and she's played. Is it she a couple still of doing times. gigs or anything? Oh yeah, or? she's she's got a new album out, and she's she's wow. actually she's actually her music is even better than it used to be when back when the Charpaster days. I mean, her songwriting is is great. You want to you want to look her up. Maybe you guys could do a project together because she's really an amazing. We tried it. It was called Marriage. <laughs> <laughs> All right, that's perfect. <laughs> and on that note. On that yeah. note. It was a pleasure talking to you. Thank you so much for right, taking John. the time. I'll, take I'll care. see you then. Bye-bye. Right. Cheers.
Okie dokie. Thanks to Andy Summers for being part of this episode of the Roots Report podcast. Andy Summers will be at the Greenwich Odium on July 22nd with the Cracked Lens and Missing String Tour. To find out more, Chronosthesia over to GreenwichOdium.com. The Roots Report podcast is presented by Motif Magazine and sponsored by Providence Brewing Company, Rhode Island Blood Center, New Bedford Festival Theater, and Mother Earth Wellness. Thanks for listening. Thank you.